When Leslie was in grade five, she had questions about the adult world. So she wrote them down. I wonder. I wonder if grown-ups ever want to help you with things. Like, <laughs> if a kid needs information on something and the grown-up has it on their computer, will the grown-up want to leave their stupid Star Trek show to help them find it? <laughs> That's Leslie, clearly not a big fan of Star Trek. I'm Dan Meisner, and this... This is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. How are you doing? It is very nice to see you. This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live in Kitchener, Ontario, we have Teenage Betrayal, a semantic argument with the president of India, a very close call with a flaming hot taco shell and much more. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and like a parent who'd rather watch Star Trek than help you on the computer, it can also be tricky to understand. So think about the stuff you wrote when you were a kid, and stick around. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. When Elizabeth was 12 and 13, she kept a diary. And at our Kitchener show, she shared a few entries that cover some of the most universal experiences of middle school. Dating, crushes, school dances, and betrayal. Please welcome to our stage, Elizabeth. A quick heads up, Elizabeth uses a cuss word in her diary, which we do not bleep. Okay, so April 20th, 2006. Music, Billy Talent. Time, 9.36 p.m. <laughs> Place, my bed. Wearing, Dora the Explorer boxers I made in family studies and a white tank top from Garage. Just, just setting the scene for everyone. <laughs> Dear Diary, the school dance was today. I danced with no one. They always write about the not-so-pretty girls who always get their dream guy, but it never happens in real life. Anyway, they played Stick With You by the Pussycat Dolls, and I spent the whole time trying to help my friend because he wanted to dance with one of my friends, when really I just wanted to tell him that I would dance with him. All of my friends dance with loads of guys, except me. Shannon never had a slow song alone. I'm going to be the girl all through high school who has a lot of friends, but not that special someone. Nicole likes a guy in grade eight, and we saw him dancing with another girl. We think they're dating. I wish I danced with someone. I really want a boyfriend, even if he likes me more than I like him. Because <laughs> it wouldn't be like the other way around. <laughs> Dear Diary, I feel betrayed, annoyed, and a real piece of crap. And angry, very angry. And who is to blame? Nicole. Yes, the very Nicole who I thought was my best friend in the whole world. She told Rachel about my crush, my very little crush on David. It doesn't even exist anymore, but that's beside the point. I thought she was my friend. So much for best friends. She betrayed my trust and she didn't honor our friendship. I'm not going to talk about Nicole behind her back, but I want to get back at her. <laughs> my life is so messed up, even my crush. Well, I like the same guy, just, I know this sounds weird, but it's like my whole body wants him. I'm, <laughs> I'm addicted to him. It's like he's my anti-drug. I need him to make me feel good. Is being addicted to guys the same as being addicted to pot or marijuana? 
Dear Diary, Hey, I'm so confused. I don't think I like Fraser. Okay, I'm getting off track. Last night, I was talking to him on MSN, and as always, I was trying to figure out who he likes. He was trying to figure out who Nicole likes, and I wouldn't tell him, and he says, I'm not joking. Just think, I could be your boyfriend. Dead silence for me. Then when I asked him about it, he totally denied it. Dear Diary, Mom alert, Mom alert, code red. She thinks I like Fraser, which is totally true, but I can't let her know that. (laughs) Why do I like him? Reasons why it's impossible to not like Fraser. (laughs) The way he laughs, the way he sits in class, I sit behind him and it's so sexy. The (laughs) The way he talks to you. Okay, I know it's pathetic, but I don't know why I like him. I guess it's true what Paris Hilton says, the stars are blind. (laughs) What is new about Elizabeth? Is it that she has a new hairstyle? No. Is it that she has new clothing? No. Well, yes, but not that. Give up? Okay, I'll tell you. Fraser loves Elizabeth, and Elizabeth loves Fraser back. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Fraser is my boyfriend. I finally know what it feels like to be in love. Dear Diary, fuck, I'm so mad. Mount Mount St. Louis Moonstone got cancelled. I was supposed to get my first kiss today. I'm so mad. Arg, grr. I hate this. I want to kiss Fraser. And I got up at 5.45am, so it's safe to say that I'm a huge bitch. Dear Diary, me and Fraser kissed today. I just had my first kiss. We walked home the same way for a bit, and when we hugged to say bye, we looked at each other, and the next thing I knew, our lips were touching. It was the best two seconds of my life. (laughs) Anywho, I'm going to bed. (laughs) Dear Diary, we had our track and field day today, and I got really badly sunburned. My event, tug of war, was at 10.45, so basically I had the whole day free, and me and Meryl were sitting with Fraser, and some chick was flirting with him, and Meryl told him off. And then me and Fraser were totally cuddling, and he was tickling my nose, and he is so cute, and I am so glad he's in my life. He is so incredible, and I've learned so much from our relationship. Like, you should never rush into I love you. Guys are just as nervous as girls. You should always listen to your boy, but I spelled it B-O-I. Um, they have feelings too, and if something is wrong, you need to tell them because communication is key. June 13th, 2007. I hate my life. I can't stop the tears from falling. Fraser broke up with me. I called Nicole and told her, and she told me that sucked, and she was so sorry. And I cried on the phone for a bit, and then we hung up, and I changed my MSN status to single and ready to mingle. (laughs) Even though I'm really not. Thank you. Elizabeth wasn't the only reader at our Kitchener show who had love on the brain. When Sarah was in grade 10, she was like a lot of us in that she hadn't quite figured out love, romance, and relationships. So to help her work through her confusion, Sarah wrote a poem. Grade 10. What is love? (laughs) Scientists claim it's a chemical reaction. (laughs) Idealists believe it's an instant attraction. The romantics say it was love at first sight. Lovers tell us that it happened last night. (laughs) Philosophers explain that it's all in the mind, and our best friends tell us that love is blind. Our parents think that we're too young to know, but they promise they'll tell us in time when we grow. Teachers try to explain it in a class called sex ed. (laughs) But nothing is learned. It's a subject we dread. If no one is certain what the true meaning could be, how will I know when love happens to me?
poetry is always popular at Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. And when our next reader, Erin, was in grade nine, she wrote quite a lot of poetry for school. At our Kitchener show, she shared a few selections. This is, in her own words, sad-ish, but she would like to stress that she had a totally happy upbringing and is a fully well-adjusted adult human being today. Please welcome to our stage, Erin. This is called She Seemed So Young. She was young and smothered with love. Her face showed nothing but smiles. A blue-blue sky above, she spread happiness for miles. She was young but slightly older, and from her eye came her first tear. A comforting hand placed on her shoulder was enough to calm her fear. Still young but more mature, an absence of love shot as the sharpest dart. She spoke to the hand on her shoulder, Sir, this cannot mend my broken heart. She learned there is not always a cure and that we must simply play our part in this world no matter what we endure before we make our grand depart. She seemed so young, lying in the coffin, as the memories of a once happily girl twirled. What caused her to do this, many wondered often, and how they would survive the sadness in our world. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Okay, this is called Wishing Star. I sometimes wish that you would call me more, even though I pretend not to care. You changed who I was, made me who I am today, ripped out my heart, and threw it on the floor. I sometimes wish that it didn't have to end that way, because maybe then I could simply forget. As hard as I try, I've come to realize life is not something that you can reset. I sometimes wish that we'd never even met. The laughter never measured up to the hurt. You broke my heart, made me afraid to love. You were once so sweet, now you treat me like dirt. (laughs) I sometimes wish that you would forget my past, forget the sorrow and pain that I had brought. It seemed I would never change in your eyes. My words were lies, no matter how hard I fought. I wish no more for what could have been. I will rise above to overcome this war. So congratulations, you've all made me stronger. Now it is only you who I feel sorry for. (laughs) There's more. (laughs) Um, This one's called Extinguished, so that gives you a hint. These shadows that dwell within me, a darkness which lurks below... The sun sets, no place left to hide. It is coming over me, I can feel it now. It is seeping through my veins. As my skin turns black, the candle burns out. I am consumed by the blackness, I fit right in. There are no matches left, you took them all. A spark is all I need. Wait, a light, just down there. It glows luminously against the dark. Your familiar figure passes before it. Please, no, that is all that is left. The shadows grow larger as you block the light, threatening to overtake it all. Are you happy now? I will only fall. Thank you. (laughs) Hi, this is Erin calling. Um, So mostly just wanted to let you know that I'm... um, 24, so it's been about 10 years since I wrote that poetry, and I'm doing well. (laughs) Um, I think, you know, in one sense it was reflective of what was going on in my life at that time, just because it was filled with angst. (laughs) And writing in poetry was a really great way for me to express some of those thoughts that I was hesitant to with other people, Um, you know, when you're 13 and don't want to talk about anything that you're actually feeling. It's an easy way to get it all out so it doesn't consume you. 
When Nathan was in grade six, his teacher made the entire class write in their journal every single day. This wasn't optional. It was a requirement. But as you'll hear, Nathan was not a big fan of writing in his journal, so he spent a lot of grade six trying to figure out ways to get around the requirement to write daily. We're going to hear a couple excerpts from that journal, including some notes from his teacher. Please welcome to the Grown Ups Who Thinks They Wrote His Kids stage, Nathan. All right. So the day was September 12th in the year 2000 when I thought I figured it out. So this is how the entry goes for this day. I have nothing to write about in the journal today. And the only correction my teacher made that day was I used the wrong right. So I thought, <laughs> I thought I had got her. Um, but then the following week, on September 19th, 20th, the 21st, and the 22nd, I wrote, on all those days, I have nothing to write about today. <laughs> In a large green marker, my teacher wrote, this is not acceptable. It tells me you're not reading. <laughs> Apparently, I missed the, the memo on the journal that it was supposed to be a reading journal at the time. <laughs> Uh, the next week, I, I tried it again after, after giving the journal a shot, and two days in a row again, I wrote, I have nothing to write about today. And the teacher wrote, Nathan, I am really disappointed, and gave me a D in a big circle. Yeah. It was, it was fair. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so we're, we're skipping a few months here, and I only turned a couple pages, so we'll let you know how that went. Um, but November 14th, now this is a special day, uh, today is my birthday, and I'm very excited to get home and get my presents. <laughs> the following day, I must have had a, a zinger of a birthday because I have nothing to write about today. <laughs> the teacher commented, then I have nothing to mark, <laughs> equals zero. She also added, Nathan, many people have almost finished an entire notebook. This is not good enough. Journals need your response in what you write. Otherwise, it is not a journal. So we're skipping ahead now to February. Again, only a couple more pages. <laughs> so February 9th, 2001. Dear Journal, I did not like the movie about puberty. It was gross. We're skipping ahead another month here. <laughs> and at this point, I had picked up on the fact that people were finishing books, and I was still not halfway done. So I started writing my journal entries, skipping every other line, and, um, and only using one per page. Um, so my teacher wrote, Nathan, paper is a valuable commodity. Do not skip whole or even half pages. You can't go back and deal with a problem later as your entries would be off, out of order, and just keep this in mind for next time. So I didn't listen. Uh, but my next journal entry is, Dear Journal, Frogger is so good, I can hardly put it down. The following day, Dear Journal, I finished Frogger. It was okay. Still skipping lines and wasting pages, and my teacher wrote, I cannot let all this wasted paper go a second time. Begin your next journal entry on, after February 19th, where I've put the black X. Thank you. Um, so that was back where I had not skipped pages, and that was when I ended my journal. And keep in mind, that was April. Thank you.
a lot of what we hear on stage at Grown Ups Who Thinks They Wrote as Kids, you might call frivolous. We hear about clothes and teenage crushes and petty fights with siblings. Kids have a tendency to sweat the small stuff. But sometimes kids write about big issues, important issues, and sometimes surprisingly personal issues. Our next reader, Nitika, brought two pieces of teenage writing to our Kitchener show. First, an essay on countering terrorism written when she was 15 years old. This was written to the president of India. And then we are going to hear a poem written at 16 years old. And this was written shortly after the attacks in Mumbai. Please welcome to the Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids stage, Natika. So the president of India asked, um, what should we do to free our planet from terrorism? In 2007, I was in 10th class, and this is my response. Mr. President, sir, I am particularly happy to see that the president considers the student of the country important enough to be asked such questions. Also, I observed the word planet in your question and was inspired to see that one realizes that in front of such important issues, the theory of countries and man-made entities vanishes so easily. We were taught in class 8 that terrorism is the use of blackmail to get one's desires accomplished. But I find this definition utterly useless and flawful. (laughs) Firstly, it describes the way terrorism is conducted instead of giving the meaning. And secondly, it's still flawful. (laughs) (laughs) Consider this. A girl innocently tells her friend to give her back her pen or she will not return her pencil. This satisfies the definition. So is the girl a terrorist? Of course not. So, so firstly, one should understand the meaning of terrorism in order to be capable of devising a solution. My definition for terrorism goes, terrorism is a state of mind where the person is unhappy, frustrated with his environment, society, and wishes to accomplish his desires through unacceptable means as thought by the society. It may be incorrect, but I'm quite happy with it. Now I shall make myself very clear that though the means of the terrorist are unacceptable by society, there is a possibility that the society is thinking wrong. It shows that the society is perhaps misleading and needs further improvement. Please don't get offended. Let me explain. (laughs) In olden and golden times, crimes were not common in nature due to the trust and respect people had for each other. People often left their doors open. Such was the trust. In contrast, today's world portrays a state of pandemonium, chaos, distrust, and a fast-paced life. This often leads to frustration, unhappiness, and unfulfilled dreams, and the person is forced to take extreme and unwanted measures. Thus, I conclude by giving a solution which cannot fail, but but is a little ideal to follow. In this world where everything is intertwined with other things and thus forms an interdependence between all, similar to a web, One finds a deep and distinct relationship between terrorism and the condition of the society. One must thus help the nation to devise better ways to beautify our society's condition such that terrorism will fade into nothingness. Okay, and then the next year there were the Mumbai attacks on 26th of November in 2008, and I was in 11th class, and this is a poem I wrote called Scarlet Rain. A sleeping government, a terror attack, the beating of the drain, Silence. No life one hears till miles away. An explosion. Silence again. A cry, a frantic one. 
a voice trembling of an orphaned child echoes in the darkness. Footfalls. The innocent girl runs from the chill of the night, drenched red in scarlet rain. A swift action, a flash of the blade, the blood flowing joins the river of sorrow. What do you know of this pain? What do I know of this pain? Lying in bed, living in a comfortable fortress. And fortress it is. And though communication and technologies have come so far and news channels bang their news upon us, we pray and weep a mere few days. Our rational fortress doesn't allow for long to alter habits this way. And again, away from cruel reality to our illusions we return, our mind the illusionist is at play. And through the shrouds and shadows, cold, dark eyes witness life fade to black. Their masterpiece it is. They feel no joy or pain. Their anguished past has turned them numb. Their hearts are dead. And like marionettes, they are concerted to create havoc and give birth to fear in humanity's heart. And by men, by men who, fear, uh, who know not fear nor the beauty of life, not anymore, but revenge, sweet revenge. And like demons awakened, they too were awakened by the superpowers, by men poisoned with greed and avarice who believed they could conquer by force the concept of the first, second, and third countries, the difference between their rights, because this wrath and anger and this fright. Six billion. Six billion isn't a number small. We could have been happy had we been united, but united is our intense and profound sadness. Humanity is lonely. They believed they could conquer by might and brute force, only if they knew they could conquer more by respect and love. And only hope remains, only if we could turn the scarlet rain transparent. Thank you. When I think back to the terrorist attacks in Mumbai that happened on the 7th of November, I remember feeling numb and raw and unable to comprehend how humans could possibly do this to other humans. And I knew I wanted to write about it but could not. Indeed, it, it took me about a month to process my emotions enough to finally write the poem as a wake-up call before the new year. This was my way of healing and accepting the grief and transforming it into an understanding of the wise and transforming it into hope for a peaceful future of humankind. I chose uh, the two pieces, the letter to the president uh, and the poem about the Mumbai blast in particular because they shared the common theme of terrorism approach from two different angles. One, one of them was trying to find a solution and the other was trying to just deal with the grief it caused. There was another reason as well. I wanted to remind myself of the passion that I had to change the world while being completely clueless politically back then. But how that has evolved to the present self that I am today, where I continue to struggle with the same questions in all its complex glory, almost like finding my present self reading to a mirror across which my past self looked at me in the eye and asked me if I'd found the answers to the questions that had troubled her. When Penny was 10, her mom took evening classes at the local university. 
So as a way to keep in touch when they were apart, Penny would write letters to her mom, explaining the things that had gone on during the day. And at our Kitchener show, Penny read one of those letters from an especially eventful day. A quick heads up, growing up, Penny called her mom by her nickname, which is why this letter is addressed to Joey. So I'll just point out, for anybody who's old enough to remember uh, the comic strip Family Circus, you can't see this, but there are little Family Circus drawings throughout this entire letter. Um, And I like to bake a lot, so that's where we start. A letter to Joey featuring the Family Circus kids. Joey, the cookies turned out awful. They were all dried up and not sticking together at all. I wish there had been some place where I could have phoned you. Deirdre came in to try and help, but all we did was argue. She made me mad, and then I yelled, and I cried, so she made me more mad. (laughs) I don't know what went wrong with the cookies. I checked the recipe twice, but they were so dry, I couldn't get it all mixed in. When Dad came home to get his shoes, I asked him, I asked him what I should do, and he said, work with it. <laughs> but nothing worked. I hope you had a good time. If I am in bed, can you come and wake me up to say goodnight, please? P.S. I put the dough in the fridge. P.P.S. If you can work the dough good, can you please wait and let me do it in the morning? Love, Penny. Joey. Again, this happened after I wrote the first two pages of this letter. I wanted a snack, so I cracked up two taco shells and put a piece of cheese on them, put them under the broiler, and set the timer to five minutes. (laughs) When I came back five minutes later, the tacos were on fire. Deirdre came in, and she put a tin lid on top of them. Then she poured some baking powder on them, and that put them out. We opened the windows and doors, so that is why it might be a little cold. I don't know what went wrong, and I'm really sorry. Punky, the dog, has been fed and put out, but you should put her out once more when you get home. I am in bed. Please come wake me up when you get home. Love, Penny, your daughter. Yes, I took two Tylenol before going to bed, okay? Thank you. That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live at the Registry Theatre in Kitchener, Ontario, and produced by Jenna Meisner. Olivia Nashmi is our associate producer. Our music is by Poddington Bear and Lullatone. And our closing theme is Oh Dear Diary by Sloan. Now that you've heard Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids, why not watch, too? Just search for Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids on Facebook to see daily videos from readers across the country. Again, just search for Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids on Facebook. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening.